Good morning, everyone. Morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I'm glad y'all could come out for our class. All right, so good morning again. Um, last week we left off actually at question eight in chapter 11. So in chapter 11, we're actually ready to read a couple of verses here. We had read uh, down the verses for uh, the question number seven. So this is Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, referring back to the previous verses, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And he's talking about all the all the folks that had been mentioned previously in this chapter saying all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not actually receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So if we look at question eight, what did these heroes of faith obtain? What did they receive? Yes, Jim. Hope. Hope. They received hope? The future. The future? A future? Yes. They received, and, and, and we get that through the promise, right? The promise of the Lord, the covenant, right? So they did receive the hope and the promise of things to come. So what did they not receive? If we look at those verses, we're in Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40. Right. They didn't live to see the fulfillment of that promise. They didn't live to see Jesus come and make it possible for all of us to have the relationship we do with God. So they did not receive that. Now, why did they not receive that? It's the next part of that question. We mentioned here that they should not be made perfect apart from us so that we would all be made perfect together, right? Yeah. At the, at the final trump where everyone rises and goes to be with the Lord, that's when we're all made perfect together, right? Whether you're asleep in the grave or whether you're still alive at that time. So we're all going to receive that part of salvation at the same time together. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So... Now, chapter, uh, question nine. Question nine is really open-ended. So, from this chapter, what do we learn about faith and works? What would you say that we can learn from this? Yes, Pat. You can see that uh, they showed their faith by their works. Right, they showed their faith through their actions, right? Through their works. 
Anything else? Right, because they really believed, their faith moved them into action. Because they believed, they took action based on that faith, right? And we see that played out a lot. There is a reference here for this question, and it's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And I think this is a clear explanation that James gives here. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll read that. Verses, it's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself does not have, I'm sorry, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we know that faith, faith will, if you have faith, it will generate works. Your faith will always cause you to take action to, to have works. Does anybody have anything else on that? Okay, all right, then we can move on to chapter 12. Now in chapter 12, <clears throat> pardon me, chapter 12, the, we're going to look at the main points of this chapter first because that makes, makes sense to me. Um, notice what they, they write here at the top with the heroes of faith like a cloud of witnesses because the very first thing in this chapter the chapter break is just kind of odd. The very first thing in this chapter refers back to everything we just looked at. So, because he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? So, and here, the Hebrew writer is cheering us on to run the race of faith, looking to Jesus as our example. And it says, uh, coming not to Mount Sinai, but to glorious Mount Zion, 
we are given a sixth warning not to refuse or defy him. And then the points to ponder, which are basically the, the main points of the chapter. The main points of the chapter are the need for endurance and discipline. And we'll see, we'll see that in the first um, 17 verses of the chapter. Uh, there's a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And that's in verses like 18 to 24. And then a warning in the last verses of this chapter against defying. So let me read the first few verses here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So question number two, how are we to run this race of faith? Since that's what, how it's being described. With endurance and not give up. With endurance, not giving up, right? Lay aside the heavy weights. Lay aside the weights. And what do the weights do, right? They slow us down. They keep us from doing the, from actually being in the race, right? With joy, with joy, we can look to Jesus for that joy and inspiration to continue, even sometimes when it's hard. Determination. Determination. We need, do need to be determined. There's going to be times when we're going to, going to have a hard time of it. Again, we're going to need to look to him for strength and consider what he's done. Yes. Right, we want to stay focused on the Lord, focused on Jesus, make sure we're following Him and not anything else, not anyone else. There's a lot in those few verses. And it's a, it's a lot to consider. And uh, we want to make sure that when we are having a hard time, when it maybe we become weary and discouraged, that we look to what the Lord did for us that he gave everything, he endured all of that and paid all that price for us. Does anyone have anything else? Yes. When somebody uh, races, they prepare themselves for that race to strengthen their body. And we need to strengthen our spiritual body by preparing our way to heaven by studying the word of God. Right. Just like, just like a physical racer prepares themselves and practices and does all of those things, we need to be spiritually preparing for our spiritual race by studying the Word of God, by being involved in learning from God and, and pursuing, again, pursuing the Lord, focused on the Lord, 
pursuing him and what he would teach us. Yes, Eileen. Yes. It says, enduring him, meaning Christ, endured the cross, despising the shame. That, that phrase, despising the shame, can you explain that a little? To me, despising the shame, that's our shame that he took upon himself. He took that for us, just like all the punishment, all the price he paid. Shame is a big part of that. When we've done wrong, we've all felt shame over things we've done and been embarrassed and, and all those things. And he took all that on for us. And, and I mean, he just, of course, we don't like that feeling and he didn't like that feeling, but he took that on for us, even though it was extremely unpleasant and he did not like it. I mean, he was. And if you look at what they did, how they punished him being hung on the cross like that, that is like an ultimate thing of shame. That's what the Romans did. They hung you up as a uh, an abject lesson to do what they wanted you to do. Did you have something, Jim? I'm sorry. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to go through. He also prayed that it would be God's will that that be taken. Yeah. But and the final part of his prayer, he says, not my will, but thy will. He endured all the shame and, and reproach which was going to come upon him. Yes. Anguish. And it was for you and me. Yes, Jesus endured all that for us. He took all that on knowing that he was taking that on, knowing what was going to happen. And he did pray. Of course, of course he prayed and said, you know, if, if, if this isn't necessary, you know, I'd rather not do it, but I, but your will be done, you know, basically. I'm roughly, very roughly paraphrasing, but if you go back and read his prayer, you know. And being crucified, you were born to the worst. You were reserved for just anyone that was for the worst people. That was, that was, you were considered the worst of the worst, right? Because minor, minor crimes, they had jails and prisons and things like that. And they had, well, they had the, the beatings that they would do too. So they had a number of different punishments, but this was supposed to be for the worst. Right. Thank you. That was a good point. I forgot about that. Anybody have anything else? All right. So if we look down uh, at the next few verses, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son who he, whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. 
Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And that leads us to question number three. If we experience hostility striving against sin, how should we view it? As something that should be good for us to shape us into a better person, we're learning a lesson from being chastened, from making the mistakes we make and then being chastened and being taught correctly, right? Yes. In uh, the first chapter of James, um, starting with verse 22 down to Verse 24, if you want to read that. You said the first chapter of James? Yeah, 22 and 24. It kind of goes along with that. Yeah, James has a lot of good things in it. I know it's short, but it's very good. Let me... Okay, so 22 through 24 of first of James, not first James, James chapter 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, am I reading the right thing? Yeah. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, go away, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In okay. Other words, we have to discipline ourselves in that way. If right. We, we do have to. Ourselves, if we're not perfect in His sight, we need to change. Okay. Right. We do need to discipline ourselves and be doers of the word and change to make sure that we're following the Lord. This is questions three and four kind of go together. Um, does anyone else have anything on this? Yes. Verse 5, okay. If we, yes, if we're following the Lord, then we will be hated as well. Right. And the Lord said his burden was light, is light, yes. Now, so if we look, like you said, at verse 5, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged. We don't want to, you know, be discouraged when we are rebuked, when we're learning that we're in the wrong, we just want to make correction and move forward, right? We don't want to give up and and stop. We want to continue to be doers of the word and yes. 
It makes me think the Olympics, uh, these people up there are being judged, and they're making mistakes, and they're being disciplined. And by the mistakes they made, they learn from them. So the next time they perform, they'll try not to do that thing they did. Right. Okay. So like, like certain Olympic, Olympic athletes who are judged, like you take the figure skating, for instance, they're judged on how they perform. It's not necessarily just a race, but it's how they perform and the mistakes they make that they're judged on. They can learn from those mistakes and get better. So similar to that, it's, it's like anything in life where we make mistakes and we learn not to do that again. Um, it's like if you, I can't think of a good example right now, but you, if you accidentally hit the gas when you meant to hit the brakes, you know, things like that. You kind of learn <laughs> from these mistakes not to do that again. Um, but this is uh, the Lord chastening us. This is speaking about the Lord chasing, and chastening us and teaching us in our lives as we go. But sometimes as long as we're making the same mistake, we kind of continue to get the same bad results until we learn to break that cycle and break that habit and get through that till we learn to get past that and quit making that same mistake. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's the, perfecting our faith. Yes, and the Lord perfects our faith and perfects us through his word, right? So this is all part, and that's that's why we're here to learn and to study his word. Now, question number four kind of goes with this in verses 10 and 11, because he's continuing to speak about the chastening and the comparison with the human fathers, or you can think of the human parents. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So just like what we're talking about, and since we were getting very much into that direction, this is kind of our, uh, you know, for question four, what can chastening from God accomplish? Well, it's just like when we were little children. I don't know about your parents, but my dad was a good spanker. <laughs> <laughs> He believed in spanking when you misbehaved and you wouldn't change it. Right. You know, so if he got to the point of spanking, you knew there's something in your life you should be changing, so you won't get that spanking again. Right. And God the same way. He gives us tests, and we have to learn by those, because if we don't learn by those, it's going to keep happening over and over again, and we haven't gained a thing. Right. God gives us the ability to change the things we know are wrong. Chastening is very similar to a parent's punishment, whether it be spanking or any kind of whooping or whatever. Um, and we're not talking about anything extreme, but just, you know, just to teach a child to uh, change its ways. And I mean, I had those myself, so I know <laughs> what the, how that is. And, you know, if by the time you've pushed them to that point, because your parents don't really want to punish you, but by the time you've pushed them to that point, um, yeah, you need to change. You've done something wrong, right? You've gone too far, and that's part of what chastening and, and learning all this is about. And we are children, whether we are 
a hundred years old or twenty, we're still children to God of God. So Does anybody have anything else on yeah? Right. The purpose is to make us more like the Lord, drawing us closer to being like that and purging out and getting rid of the wrong things that we have in our lives. And sometimes, uh, anyway, yes. Well, as a child, you know, when we don't do something correct, we're not pleasing that parent. And so we're disciplined. And so then we realize that if we would have done something better, we would have pleased them. And that goes on God's way, too, because he wants us to please him because he created us. And he, he wants us to be more like him, like Kim said. And uh, in order to do that, we need to have a, a better relationship with him. And we can't have that when we're going against everything he wants us to do. Right. We can't have a better relationship with God if we're going against what he's teaching us and telling us and explaining to us what we should do. And everything he's telling us, think about this, it's just like when you're holding your little kid's hand and you're not letting them run out in the street or run out into traffic, everything he's doing is for our good and for our protection and for our betterment. It's not. Some people take it, and, and I think maybe when I was younger, maybe I also thought that sometimes, but it's it's not that he's trying to deprive us of anything. It's He's trying to show us the better way. But, you know, I know sometimes pe people in the world don't see it that way, but that is, that is what God's intent is, to give us a better life, a better way. Yes? And, you know, uh, that shows maturity on our part because the scriptures talk about still being a babe in Christ because you're not doing this and that, and that's one of the things, is you're being a babe in Christ because you're going against everything, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, how little kids are, and throw a hissy fit. Yeah, little kids will do that, and yeah. we do that too. <laughs> so, you know, we need to comply with what he wants us to do, and honor him. Right. Yes, we need to honor the Lord and follow him. All right, so... Let's look at the next verses down. Uh, Hebrews 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully, lest any one fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So if we look at question five, as we 
run the race of faith, what should we pursue and how? Well, he says here in verse 14, pursue peace with all people, right? Now, that can be a hard thing to do sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to agree with people or be peaceable with people. I know that. We, we all have emotions. We all sometimes can be a little aggravated or irritated, but uh, we should pursue peace with all people. And then also holiness, right? Without which no one will see the Lord. And the Lord gives us that holiness, really. Does anyone have anything on pursuing that? You notice he also makes the comparison to Esau, who sold his birthright for some food. If I remember right, uh, it was just like a bowl of stew or something like that, right? That's how little he thought of 